This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored well welcome everyone to literary treks our dedicated books and comic show i am your host matthew rushing and dan is not with me he is off on a super secret starfleet section 31 mission as he is sometimes he was allowed to tell me where it was and he is in iceland and so i'm not sure exactly what starfleet has him doing there but i'm sure is probably has something to do with training him to infiltrate Andor, but I'm not allowed to speculate much anymore. Um, could end up on some sort of strange barren planet myself. Uh, so with me this week is the amazing Charlene Schmidt. Charlene, Aww. welcome back to Literary Treks. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. Well, I'm excited. We've got some... Uh, really interesting stuff to talk about in the feature um, we do. And we're going to be we're going to be covering something a little bit different than we have before we are going to talk about Kate Mulgrew's new memoir Born with Teeth but before that I, I just kind of wanted to ask you um, I know you've had a huge life change recently uh, you moved yes. from the tundra of North Dakota down <laughs> to well Tatooine was that was where you ended up uh, I think not quite no we you know what we moved pretty much from one U.S. border almost to the other we went from Fargo down to Phoenix Arizona okay 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 that's why I was mixed up with that and Tatooine okay it's it's the <laughs> desert so I mean looks wise it's kind of got that similar vibe so you're not mm-hmm. completely off base okay well, just make sure you watch out for that most wretched hive of scum and villainy. Oh, I'll uh, do that. Yeah. but uh, So how are you liking the desert so far? I love the desert. I thoroughly enjoy the fact that it's, you know, a good hundred something degrees here. I can <laughs> yes. go out and swim in the pool and it's awesome. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of living in Fargo, where for six months of winter, you move from heater to heater to heater. Well, here, you're going from air conditioner to air conditioner to air conditioner to probably a swimming pool, if you've got one. Yeah, that's very true. I, I remember um, that life, uh, obviously, having lived in Dallas most of it, and um, doesn't doesn't work quite that way uh, here, where I am now. It's, it's a balmy 72 and with a nice uh, crisp in the air, and... It's enjoyable to have the windows open. So, oh, that's not bad either. <laughs> no, yeah, not at all. Well, 
we don't really have any news. I, I looked all over the place to see if there was any, uh, you know, real news for us to talk about. So we're just going to jump straight into the feature and talk about Kate's memoirs. Oh, let's do that because I think we've got a lot to talk about. Well, Char, I, this is going to be a different literary treks than we've done before. We've never covered any of um, the nonfiction like this from the actor's perspective. Um, we haven't done anything, you know, Shatner's movie memories or, or Star Trek memories yet or anything like that. And so I was kind of excited that this was going to be the first one. And obviously this just came out, uh, uh, you know, about a month right. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And... I I wanted to kind of ask you before we kind of get started, when you picked up the book, what did you expect kind of the book to be like? Going in, I knew that it was not going to be a complete comprehensive collection of memories from her life. She said months in advance, this is not a complete thing. There's not going to be any Orange is the New Black. There's not going to be tons of Star Trek. So I went in knowing that and accepting that. I know that there's people out there who read it and said, well, what about all the other stuff? I think that's coming, but we need to talk about that in the distant, distant future. Uh, So going in and knowing that, what I was really expecting was to learn a lot about her upbringing, her childhood, what led her to wanting to be an actress, and then learning more about those earlier days, because I consider myself a big Kate Mulgrew fan. I know a lot about her life, but what I was looking for was details. So how about you? What were you thinking and wanting out of this book before going in? Well, I I think I'm one of those people who was kind of expecting it to be a little bit more comprehensive and, and to have a little bit more to it especially since so much of her life has been you know uh, in the last you know 20 years uh, obviously Star Trek and then moving into some other things and then finding Orange is the New Black and so for me I was a little disjointed when that stuff you know the book just kind of ended I was like oh we were only in like season five of Voyager and there's a lot of stuff that happened behind the scenes that I mean she's barely even touched so uh, I, I I wanted to kind of talk about that because for anyone who hasn't read the book, I wanted to kind of be able to set the expectation that this is majority of Kate's early life. Um, yeah. It does go through, I think, probably season five of Voyager. Uh, yeah, maybe six. I mean, it ends around 1999 when she marries Tim Hagen, her mm-hmm. husband, at the time. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but they're actually is very little star trek in this i mean uh, honestly minuscule compared to what you would think and so but i think it it, what it did was it allowed us to have the opportunity to kind of see behind the scenes yeah i think it helped us get to know her it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. a collection of what she was going through during Star Trek. If you're going in thinking it's going to be that kind of a book, like Shatner's Star Trek Memories was, then you're going to be disappointed. But if you're interested in learning about Kate Mulgrew, this is the book to read. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, I mean, I think we should start at the beginning because it's a very good place to start. And I love that you had put on the outline, you know, the book is called Born With Teeth. And Kate is literally born with teeth. Yes, she had. And she really so had crazy. teeth. <laughs> this little infant, which apparently does happen. It's not completely uncommon. I think it's something like one in a hundred 
or so babies. But I did not know this. I had to look this up and see just how common it really was because I thought, how unusual. And really, I guess it's not. We just don't hear much about this. Well, and it's funny because, you know, when I first heard the title, I expected the idea of born with teeth. You know, we do know that Kate is tough as nails. Oh, yeah. You know, she's no nonsense. You know, uh, we, we've seen the inter- I mean, if you've seen the great interview with the Captain series with her and Shatner, those two get along famously, which is so oh, funny. Oh, yeah. Um, They're in great. a lot of ways, they have a lot of similarities. Uh, I I find when when they're talking, mm-hmm. um, and I think we just kind of I thought at least the book was really going to be kind of about how that woman was forged, and yet this is much more intimate, and it's much more. She is not afraid to show all the weaknesses that she has and all the flaws that she has, and. Um, even I think writing this book, you know, I don't think that she's trying to give any kind of impression of herself other than just, hey, this is Kate. This is me. Mm-hmm. Which is I agree. really cool. Yeah. Kate is exceptionally honest, I think, in this memoir. She does not hold things back. She, I think, looks at, somehow, she looks at her life objectively as much as she can and is very incredibly honest. And when you said the word intimate, that is also a very key word. She is personal. You feel like you are really there when she's describing things like with her family and things that she is going through. And she does not hold back. And in Kate's eloquent style, at the same time, though, she does it with such, I don't know, it's it's incredibly compelling and yet it has a touch of class to it as well. You know, so this is not a trashy tell-all novel well she's able to i I think honestly she's able to tell an an interesting story of her life and with a lot of brevity and yet at the same time you're able to feel like you're understanding what she's getting across so you nailed um you know i i think and i'm sure whoever helped kate craft this did a very good job of mimicking that style and i i felt like again if you've seen the captain series where she's talking with shatner you kind of have an under understanding of how kate does think and how she would probably write and mm-hmm. she is very well spoken and succinct so she's able to choose the right words to tell something with the, the minimal amounts of language and yet bring the fullest meaning absolutely and that's uh that's a that's a that's a hard thing to do i mean geez i just struggled with three (laughs) words so uh yeah kate doing that with with telling her life story what a really good job i think that she does with that truly she is exceptionally concise and if you've ever seen her at a convention or if you've watched video of her speaking at a convention you can see this in action verbally but to not only have that gift to be able to speak publicly that well on the spot and just run through things that way, but to also put it into words. Those are different skill sets, but she's got talent equally, I would say, on both sides of it. Uh, she's a, just a very educated, incredibly smart, and very gifted woman, period, in my opinion. And I feel like, you know, as as you're looking and you're reading through her life, I feel like that has a lot to do with all of her stage work. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because when you're reading playwrights, the good ones are very 
well-versed in how to get across in, in, and really I'd find the the best ones, in, in a more minimal sense, what they're trying to say, what they're trying to convey with less words than more. So you don't... Mm-hmm. You're not having the audience have to kind of struggle through an entire monologue, you know, that's 30 minutes long. You can't do that in a play, you know. And so right. I think um, that is something that she has really picked up and it comes in very handy with this book. And <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the, the fact that she is, I think, born with teeth, um, it almost seems like to me... You know, the expectation for me was, okay, how is this woman forged? But I I almost feel like it was her first way of kind of letting you know, I have the weirdest upbringing. I have the weirdest childhood. I have (laughs) the most interesting life. This is not... Yes. This is not like a normal story. No doubt. So it was a good way of kind of starting off what's going to unfold, which is the utter strangeness of Kate Mulgrew's knife. (laughs) Well, we ought to talk about her upbringing, which she does describe as eccentric. You know, she is born into an Irish Catholic family. She is one of eight kids. She's the oldest female, and therefore she is left often with the responsibility of caring for the younger ones, and these babies are just popping up everywhere. And one of the things that she opens up the book with is she thinks at four years old that if she replaces the milk in her infant sister's bottle and, re- and pours water into it, that she's going to kill her. And she's doing this almost as revenge for her mom not letting her go outside and play with the other kids. Because she's got to have a responsibility at four? Really? Feed the baby? Oh, come on. She thinks this is awful. And so she actually believes that she's going to kill her sister, which was an interesting way of foreshadowing something that did happen in her earlier life. One of her siblings did die uh, from sudden infant death syndrome, yes. which was a family mm-hmm. trauma, but not the first death in the family either. Or not the yeah, only death, I should say. It is, I mean, it is a very interesting thing to read an entirely different lifestyle than obviously we have now. And mm-hmm. you yeah, know, all these kids um, and just popping out kids one after another. I mean, uh, and you know, um, the the toll that that takes on the family and um, the struggle it is for all of the kids to kind of find their place. And mm-hmm. in the end, it, it is an eccentric family to grow up in. You know, her mother's very well read and, and very well spoken, um, and they she's are an artist. Fun- and she's an artist, you know, somebody who who has, in in a lot of ways, a mind of her own, and yet yeah. is also very traditional all at the same time. So it's a very interesting mix for Kate to grow up in. And I, it's a crazy dichotomy, s- isn't yeah. it? Because I feel like had mm-hmm. Joan Mulgrew, Kate's mother, grown up in a different time, she would have had a very different life. I think so. She wouldn't have had those eight kids. Yeah, no, but at the same time. You you never get the feeling from her mother that she's disappointed necessarily in her life. I don't feel like. No, not necessarily. There's a couple points, she, but she seems to be... She finds uh, ways to escape, for exactly, one thing. Yeah, yeah. Little retreats, like painting missiles on the little mural yes. she had of uh, the fairy tales, I guess. Not fairy tales, but... 
like Little Red Riding Hood and Three Little Pigs or what have you, the, the murals of oh, yeah, childhood tales. Oh, yeah, she paints the murals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's painting missiles on them and getting a kick out of it. Like, ah, isn't that funny? And then, of course, she occasionally went on vacations with members of the Kennedy family because her family was close with the Kennedys. And yes. so, and I mean, she kind of she, comes yeah, before from... before she got married, she had a whole other life that could have happened maybe if... You know, she had gotten picked up by one of the Kennedy boys. Right. <laughs> she, it def, it, I mean, it sounds like she was in the right place for that to happen. But lo and behold, she got whisked away to Dubuque instead. And like a good Which, Catholic wife started pumping out the babies. Uh, it's it's really an interesting thing to, to watch her grow up. And, and it's her mother that, that sees in her this spark uh to be a an actress and that she has this gift um and i thought that that was something that was really cool and it's it's a again it's just an interesting time period because you know kate has to work extra hard to make it as a as an actress because it's just not the thing that polite girls really do (laughs) <laughs> you know right i mean if you consider her upbringing chances are she would go off maybe to college find a rich man marry him and then have a family herself but right, yeah. she did not want that and her mother definitely encouraged that and then i kind of wonder just how much maybe growing up in a house with eight other siblings might have deterred her from that kind of life like this is what i could be doing but i don't want this I already live this. I know what this is about, and I don't want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want something else, and I want the acting. And I think when Kate puts her mind to something, she commits. She does not let go. She decides, mm-hmm. okay, this is it, and off she goes. And she'll do whatever it takes to make it happen. Well, and I think that later on, honestly, that is probably the struggle. And it, it seems like for her, that is the struggle when she does have her own kids she's raising them by herself she's trying to make it in star trek and she is somewhat resentful of them for ruining her night on the premiere of star trek on the lot oh right yes um so yeah i think i think that kate um i think she might be the first to admit that it has been hard for her to be a mother sometimes the way that yes you know she would want to be and that she always hasn't been the best mother but she's done the best that she can and yeah i think that was an interesting she allowed the audience uh, that's reading the book to have a really interesting insight to her to be honest and say i was mad at my own children for stealing my thunder you know, yeah. and um, you know, I'm really glad she said that. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for Kate for being so honest about her parenting, and maybe she wasn't the best parent. I mean, the only way to find out would be to ask her kids. But she was taking on a lot, and yeah. there was no way she, was. she could star on a TV show and raise a family when you're on the set up to 20 hours a day. There's just simply not mm-hmm. enough time to manage yeah. it all. Something gives, and. She has been incredibly honest about that for a long time. Like in The Captains, she talks about Mm -hmm. this at great length as well. And you know what? I don't think parenthood is always the the rainbows and the happy, happy, joy, joy things that we that it always is kind of portrayed to be. Like, of course, children are a wonderful thing. And there's a lot, I'm sure, as a parent that you can appreciate about having children and being the parent of children. But it's not all roses. Let's face it. There's downsides. There's oh, a lot no. of hard freaking yes. work. 
there are definitely times when you just want to wring their necks. And so let's be honest about that. I love that. Yeah. Thank you, Kate. Yeah, it was, it was I think, um, really well done in the book for her to, to kind of get to that point. And, you know, that brings us to, you know, she's able to leave home and she's able to pursue her acting career. She is able to um, study in England. Um, mm-hmm. She's able to find a job in New York. She finds Couple jobs. two jobs at the same time. She gets Ryan's Hope as well as um, starring on a, a play there in New York. and In, in Connecticut, um, actually. And in Connecticut, you're right. Um, and so she's traveling back and forth, and lo and behold, she herself finds herself pregnant. Yeah, eventually. And mm-hmm. this, is, this is very interesting because I, I really think this is the th- one of the main through lines of the story. One is the men in her life. But the other is having this child and having it haunt her that she gives it up for adoption. Right. Yeah, yeah. This happened to her at 22 when she was on Ryan's Hope, and it was at its peak. It was a very popular soap opera at the time. And truth be told, I've not seen tons of Ryan's Hope. Soap operas just aren't my thing. But there were some very... There, it had a big following. And it was not your yeah, typical did. run-of-the-mill soap opera either. I mean, Claire Labine, the writer of the show, was doing some very different things. And as Mary Ryan, I mean, Kate Mulgrew was portraying a woman who was thinking for herself and she was going to go with her gut and trust her instincts. And that in the late 70s was not the most common thing for women to do. Let's face it. Right. So it was awesome and people were gravitating toward that and they loved it. And I love the fact that they wrote the pregnancy into the mm-hmm. soap opera. Mm-hmm. Became a big thing. And you know, they didn't write her off the show. She Kate volunteered to quit. She went into Claire's office and said, Look, I'm pregnant. I understand that this is gonna be difficult and if you wanna write me off the show, here's some time before I start the show. And Claire said, Nope. Nope. Those two had a really special bond pretty much from the get go and she hung with Kate through a lot of these struggles. It was very cool. Yeah, and you know what was what was really interesting, and I um, this is this is one of the things that kind of harkens back to her childhood. You know, there's a she grew up Irish Catholic, and she retains those values. You know, she's mm-hmm. a hard worker. Um, she, um, I think it, it seems like Kate has some kind of faith. What it is specifically. I don't. I don't think she would necessarily talk about, but there's I think something it's changed there. Over time. Yeah, um, that's still lingering. And what I, I did, I applaud Kate for making the hard decision that she did of of having the child and giving it up for adoption. And um, what a difficult decision for any mother to have to make. You know that. Right. I'm. I. I'm going to keep the baby. But then I'm not going to keep it. I'm going to let somebody else take care of it. Yeah. And what I loved is, <laughs> this is very strange. She uses a, a Catholic charity to help uh, place the baby with a family. And strangely enough, it's Sister Una McCormick. I knew you were going to bring this up. Thank her, you. Which is so interesting <laughs> because we have a Star Trek book author yes. named Una McCormick. The Not whole the time I was reading the book, I was thinking mm-hmm. Una McCormick, the author, not necessarily Sister Una yes, McCormick. Exactly. Just, I can't. <laughs> yeah. 
but you know, it was it was um it was really interesting too throughout the book is because, you know, I felt like Kate could have come off angry against the Catholic Church and, and everything mm-hmm. for the frustration she had because they have very strict rules about the adoption, especially at that point. Um, even stricter, I think, to di- than today. You know, once it was a closed adoption, that it was, was it. a closed adoption. That was it. And and you had you had signed the paperwork that that made that very clear. They made that very clear to you. Once you do this, there isn't anything we can do. Right. Um. And then I loved that. In the end, it is Sister Una McCormick not breaking the rules but fudging things over for Kate in the end. And, <laughs> yeah. and so I, she does I what she that, can for her. Yep, exactly. And I thought it was really beautiful to see that kind of play out um, in the storyline. So, yeah, because Kate had been fighting for years to try and find out some kind of information about her. Yeah, daughter. hired pi- private detectives. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, well, and she it found was, out that her baby did not go to the couple she had chosen. I mean, things were a little shady, even a little bit. And so she's just wondering, what is going on? And they told her that the uh, the fire had destroyed all the records. Sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. And then lo and behold, she finally gives her just a little piece of hope. And it pans out. And it is, I think that was one of the most beautiful parts of the story is when she does get to meet her daughter. Oh, and, totally. I mean, that, know, she gets, that's the, the yeah. climax of the book, essentially. Getting to meet, uh, you know, her, her daughter's family that she grew up with, who, strangely enough, the mother was Italian. Kate knows Italians in Italy very well because of her relationships um, that she's had with certain men. Um, mm-hmm. And I just felt like, you know, for Kate, coming from the big Irish Catholic family and then going to probably the Catholic Italian family. It's not really all that different. We're very <laughs> similar. Uh, right. We just drink a little more red wine than we do, you know, beer and whiskey. So <laughs> Right, right. Yes. And more espresso. Exactly. So it's, it really was, though, it was, um, it was a heartbreaking story to watch Kate go through. And again, I, I just applaud her bravery and her totally. willingness to, to do something that is much more difficult because people had advised her, maybe you should do something else. You know, there are other right. ways to handle this. And Kate was very adamant in saying, no, that is there. That there's no question of whether I'm having the baby. The question is whether do I keep the baby. Right. Abortion was never in the issue for her. She wouldn't even consider right. it the father of her baby suggested it. And she said, no, mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. do that. And I think no matter what happens when you get pregnant, you, you have a choice to make. And mm-hmm. I think in Kate's position, no matter what she would have done, it would have been heartbreaking in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and th- I think there's a part of Kate that, that because of her upbringing, too, it just it really wasn't a question for her, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and yeah. so, I again, yeah, I just applaud her for for that bravery and and uh and i really appreciate her sharing that story with the world and and hopefully giving some encouragement to those who find themselves in that predicament and hopefully um you know finding the right people to help them out in that too you know right because i feel like kate's conversations um before the frustration of not being able to get in touch with her daughter 
with the charity were actually very good and very helpful for her. Yeah. So Wasn't her they, adoption were, counselor Sue Smith or something mm-hmm. like that? Yes. And they talked yeah. often. Yeah. <laughs> you have to find what's going to work for you. And if the person mm-hmm. you initially see doesn't pan out, then you go on to somebody else. And Kate right. also had exactly. her best friend Beth there. Mm-hmm. Yes. To yes. see her through so, this. And that was um, that was something that was really interesting because the baby story is so much tied into as well this menagerie of men that Kate finds herself with very much and it's an interesting question I would love to ask Kate about this because she's very frank in the book about this the way that she kind of fell for these men and kind of fell for them and found herself in sometimes in not such great situations um you know the italian that she fell in love with didn't necessarily treat her very well in the end and Mm -hmm. did not care about her career one bit no and um it just made me wonder what for her was the attraction you know to these guys and and what was kind of keeping her with them for so long when you know she's clearly showing the signs of the some things not being good and yet for some of them I think even she probably thinks why was I with that guy so long (laughs) I would love to know that too because especially with the Italian guy he swept her off her feet right and then they they get she whisks her off to Italy and I mean, by most accounts, if you look at it on the surface, it sounds like a really good life. I mean, you don't have to do anything but eat delicious food and drink wine and have espresso uh, and just be a lovely wife. But that's not at all what Kate wanted. And yet it seemed like Kate has historically been attracted to men who either didn't care much about her career or just disregarded it entirely or wanted to use it for their own gain in a certain sense Uh, like with her eventual husband Robert Egan he would love it if she would do a play that he was directing but when it came to other things like when she was on TV for instance he was just "Eh, okay well yeah and it's so interesting there too when she was married to Robert that you know he he couldn't separate you know director life from married life you know Mm -hmm. so he was so much more director when they were doing a play together even when they were at home, than he was husband. He, you know, mm-hmm. it's like they, it was always work. It was never play. And right. I think that was very frustrating for her as well and, and hurtful because you need that time. You know, you need that. Um, you do. Right. And, and that you would think that somebody. Separation. You would think somebody as consummate as Kate in her work would understand being passionate and driven. But she, I also get the sense that she does separate home life from work life but I suppose when you're doing a play with your husband that makes it duly difficult oh yeah I can't I can't even imagine um what did you think about just this is again it's an interesting story it's Tim Hagen that kind of becomes the um the knight in shining armor almost for the story for Kate, at mm-hmm. least in this part of her life. You know, yes. uh, she she's divorced her husband. She takes the boys to Ireland. They're just enjoying the beauty of Ireland, which I mean, uh, who who wouldn't want to do that? <laughs> um, and there happens to be this gentleman that her mother knows, which is so funny <laughs> getting introduced. Why? Yeah. Um, 
uh, her mother, and he happens to be in Ireland at that point. He's working with an ambassador, and they hit it off. Mm-hmm. He also has two daughters, and divorced. they make the decision. Yeah, he's divorced. They make the decision just a little bit later on down the road that this probably isn't going to work because of their familial situations and and their work, you know, and their work, right? And he respects her enough and and her her work, you know, on at that point on Star Trek. Oh wait, to, she kind of wasn't on Star Trek yet. Well, no, but I mean, they decide not to be together because. She is on Star Trek at that point. So, well, okay, yeah, it's kind of a. I, I kind of see it as a little convoluted in a way, just because it kind of skips a little bit. She meets him before Star Trek, mm-hmm. and then she has the yep. horrible first audition, but then mm-hmm. she does get it. Right, right. She's but, working on the show. Yeah, but and, they do break it off. Long story yeah, short. They, yeah, they break it off, and and but I just thought that was interesting that he respects her career, unlike the other men in her life who really. You know, either like you said, they try to use it for themselves, or they just hadn't. He does respect her in that way, which yeah. I thought was really nice. And he also respects her life as a mother. So yeah. in general, I just feel like he respects her all around, which is something <laughs> that I don't think Kate had really ever had. And it seems like that was the thing that made her really fall for this guy. He was easygoing. He was fun. He was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. They got along well. But he also seemed to treat her like a normal human being should treat somebody. (laughs) (laughs) You would think, but let's face it, sometimes that's hard to get with an intimate relationship. But yeah, they they did hit it off and yet they had very different lives or lives. I mean, he was doing he was working um, in government in Ohio for something like. I forget his exact title at the time, but he was working in Cleveland and she's off in L.A. working Mm -hmm. as an actress. I mean, how are they going to work this out? And they just initially think, uh, yeah, as much as we like each other, this probably isn't going to work out. And then, of course, they do reunite and they do get married. And what happened that is not in the book is he spent a lot of time on set so he could be with her initially. And that that was kind of how that went, where maybe he sacrificed a little bit of his career because she was full in Voyager at this point. There was no way she could back out of it, even if she wanted to. And she didn't. But she had to be there. So he came to her. And then when the show was over, she spent some time with him in Ohio. But, you know, I think that might have been the first time, though, that somebody bent over backwards for her rather than the other way around. Well, and it is interesting that, you know, they married in 1999 and the book ends with really them getting married. Mm -hmm. And yet we know kind of recently that they have quietly divorced from one another. Yeah. And that isn't mentioned in the book, which kind of leads me to where I felt like the book ends up, um, which is... It feels so completely incomplete. There's <laughs> there's so much yeah. to the story that's still left of Kate's life because there really are, you know, she told all of the well, the wonderful personal details that we got to know about her. And yet there are still many more details about her life, um, you know, obviously with all of Voyager, with what happened with Tim. Mm-hmm. And obviously what kind of led to her 
you know, I know she did other theater work. Um, she played Kate. Uh, Catherine Hepburn, she, T at five. She played Catherine Hepburn. And, and so that would, I mean, there's that story. There's the story of, of, you know, kind of moving on to Orange is the New Black. So this woman has so much more that isn't here in the book. I, I guess what we're saying is sequel, please. Yeah, sequel, please. Yes, yes, yes. This is by no means a complete account, like we've said earlier in the show. And I think this book is just begging for a follow-up, just because there is so much more to Kate's life than what is here. I understand why she constructed the book the way she did and how she has the themes, especially of her daughter and um, the men in her life running through it. it. It worked beautifully the way that it did. But we all know that there's a lot more. I mean, she could probably write a book just on her Star Trek experience alone if she were interested in doing that. But what I think she's going to do is she will continue with Star Trek and then eventually keep going uh, up through Orange is the New Black probably several years from now when the show is over and do a retrospective, probably with, probably I'd say a few years time of the show ending, whenever that's going to be. So we're going to have to wait a while, I think. But she's got to do this. You know, uh, yeah. What I would, I I think what would be great, honestly, is for her to do maybe something like Shatner did and do Voyager Memories or something along those, those, those lines. Uh, Because really, that is a whole book. You know, seven years of her life. And it, it's an intensive part of her life. You know, there's a lot that went on with Voyager. Um, there's a lot of battles that she had um, to face. And then there's a lot of ways that her life just changed. Mm-hmm. And it would be really interesting to, to, to hear all of those stories. And then honestly, I'd, I'd love, you know, to maybe have a third book be, you know, um, her time of playing Catherine Hepburn and talking about, you know, obviously... Um, the marriage with Tim and moving on towards the origins of the new black series. And, and like you said, I feel like instead of us having to wait, you know, <laughs> you want the Trek five, book six, now, is seven what you're more saying. years, you know, or more to kind of where the orange is the new black finally does wrap up. It, it just seems like, yeah, I mean, I don't know any Star Trek fan out there, honestly, whether you love Voyager or not, that you wouldn't enjoy reading a book by Kate about her experience making Star Trek. Um, Because whether you like Shatner or not, his Star Trek memories book and movie memories book, they are fantastic. They are. They're really good books. And they do a great job of kind of uh, showing behind the scenes of what it's like to make a show. And then then it was in the 60s. But, you know, Kate has such a great um, story to tell of, you know, being the, the first woman captain um, you know, and, and for all those people who maybe have never gotten to see her at a con and see her tell a lot of those stories, um, it would be wonderful to, to, to be able to kind of dive in and, and hear her tell her side, you know, and um, I think we're all interested to kind of hear more about life on set, um, Jerry Ryan coming oh, on. Oh, you want her to talk about uh, that. That well, and the but I'm I'm also interested here because the you know she had some brief mentions of all, a lot of the cast members, but you know she talked about Beltran. Mm-hmm, I would love bit. to hear her thoughts, kind of more on working with him and and oh sure um, that kind of stuff. It's not just the Jerry Ryan stuff, yeah. which would be interesting to hear. 
really her, a full account of her side of of everything that went on and, mm-hmm. and but you know I, it sounded like too they had a lot of fun um it sounded like she did make some really great friends you know yeah um, yeah and i those are the stories i think we all really enjoy hearing as fans as well so um yeah her getting back at Garrett for always making fun at her. Um, and <laughs> the doing late her night pranks cons. on Friday yeah, exactly. night when they're doing yeah, her close-ups. So, yeah, yeah. I would love to hear more of those. I mean, I know there's plenty of stories out available at cons, but there's got to be some that haven't leaked out yet. Plus, yeah. it would just be nice yeah. to have a collection of them all in one place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then, of course, she will have to do an audiobook version, and I want to yes. hear her narrate mm-hmm. them. Yes, that would be fantastic. Yes. So. Now, did you get the audiobook version by chance, Matt? I did not. I, I just got, you know, for me, audiobooks, unless I'm traveling, don't really work. I, I tend to all of a sudden tune out and then I realize I've kind of missed something. Mm. So it's easier for me and my personality to actually read the book you know, on an iPad or, or just buy I a gotcha. Book, so. Well, I, being the Kate fan that I am, I did get the hardcover book, but I also got the audiobook of oh, Born nice. with Teeth because it was narrated by Kate. And thank God nobody else narrated it because nobody could do it the way she could. And uh, when I was driving down from Fargo down to Arizona on our big move, I listened to Born with Teeth not entirely the length of the trip, but I listened to that book probably three times through. And it is something like eight CDs. It is unabridged, uh, but I had 26 hours to drive, so I had the time. Oh, there you go, yeah. <laughs> so I listened to a lot of Kate, and Born With Teeth got me through that drive, and so I know, I feel like I know this book now, inside and out. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, kind of, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't think we should really rate the book. How do you rate a memoir? But, yeah, um, you don't, because... Kate has just written this thing and put it out there and Mm -hmm. who is it for us really I feel like to judge whether her life is good or bad you know what I mean yeah that seems wrong it does and I think uh, but I do think that this um is a very honest and open book I think it's it's worth the read so I, I, I highly recommend even if you're not a Star Trek fan which you're probably are if you're listening to this podcast about books and comics of Star Trek <laughs> but even if you're a peripheral fan I think it's a really interesting story and it kind of just gives you a behind the scenes of especially a time period where female actors had a much different life even than they do now and yeah um, it's it was true. a much harder world to make it in and Kate was able to make it and she and did. so I think the story that she has to tell there is pretty fascinating definitely yeah would you recommend the hardcover or would you recommend listening to Kate read her own story <laughs> well I can't recommend both because I feel like it's fantastic oh, either you can. way if you want the full experience, I would say go with the audiobook. The full Mulgrew? The full Mulgrew. Because she's narrating it, she's giving it in her style. It's her words. And since it is unabridged, you're not going to miss anything. So if you have a commute where you're driving to work or whatnot, or if you're traveling as I did, go for the audiobook because it's definitely worth it. Now, if you're more the type that really has to have something in your hands, okay, the hardcover is for you. I feel like either way, you win. And Matt, I just want to thank you for 
being receptive to doing this review just because oh, it's yeah. not a typical book or comic like what we would normally get on Literary Treks. I mean, it's not the latest novel uh, by one of the Trek authors necessarily. It's not a comic. It's not something from the back catalog. And like you said earlier in the show, it's not Shatner's uh, Star Trek memories or anything like that. Uh, I appreciate you taking this on because it is a little bit different. And yet I feel really happy that we did discuss this oh, yeah. book. It's had so much press since its release. Well, even before its release. But we're going to only continue to hear more and more about it as uh, Kate makes the convention circuit. Well, Char, I'm really glad that, that we got an opportunity to talk about this um this book is i think that it, it is something special because you know unlike many of the trek alumni who have written books which have been very much about star trek um this is one where it's only peripherally about that mm-hmm. this is really a book about kate mulgrew right and if you desire to learn more about Kate um, and kind of understand this woman who is 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 really fascinating, this is the book. And I, I am so grateful that you wanted to be able to do this. It's been a lot of fun uh, to get to talk about Kate. But of course, it's not the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM. Nice today. segue. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. No doubt. You would always go Director's Cut. I would always go Director's Cut because this because is what the director, right. director intended. It's art. This is not a democracy. It's a cheerocracy. And the director is the cheer-tater. Earl Grey. You know, what the dressing up and what the, the clubs and the meetings and the podcasts, you know, all really comes down to is just finding and talking and being around other people who enjoy something that you really enjoy. The Orb. I'd like to see the Borg assimilate Ferenginar, and then they would become bankers. You know, I could see... Oh my gosh, I could see bankers. drones. Yeah, yeah. The, the world's <laughs> strictest bank ever. Yeah, right. I'm sorry, you have not paid your loan. You will be assimilated. <laughs> the nanites go into... <laughs> yes! The ready room. Oh, man. I can see, instead of Kirk, it's Mike Ditka throughout the entire... He's <laughs> just, like, chewing the whole time, like, yeah. Edith Killer must die. Oh, she's gotta die. Commentary, Trek Stars. The theme song, I mean, I, I guess it's cool. The thing that, that I was kind of struck by was the opening title sequence itself. Yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> it's None literally like all three of them are running for their lives. The 602 Club. But I loved the scene with um, Lucy and Tumnus when they first meet because mm-hmm. that's a very yeah. vivid description in the book. Um, and I felt like they, they really nailed that in terms of the way it looked. And and the CGI was advanced enough so that um, James McAvoy really looked like he had fawn legs. and Literary Treks. Tell us about coming up with this this story for the crew of the Enterprise. Where did it come from for you, and what were some of your inspirations for diving into these characters once again? Well, Troublesome Minds was such a book that it left me with as if I I didn't quite finish. 
I'd come up with Troublesome Minds as an idea. That the, the idea was what pushes Spock toward Colinar? Axonar, the official podcast. There is more to life than just get up, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed, repeat until dead. There's more to life than that. And I, I believe that uh, that's the essential magic of Star Trek is that it says it, it appeals to that that urge to get up off the couch, walk out the front door, and go see what's out there. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows, find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Guys, you know if you're an Apple user, you can do some things that really help us out and help the show grow. I've loved looking at iTunes and seeing... um, a little more promo for literary tracks being up there higher and and what makes that happen is people hitting the subscribe button and giving us star ratings and reviews it helps us climb those rankings makes us more visible helps fans find this so if you've got a joy for books and comics of star trek and doing things like born with teeth i do those things for us in apple it really helps us out and i really appreciate all of you that that go there and help us out in that way But you know what? If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. It doesn't even matter. We've got our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download that MP3 file and grab the RSS link as well. Great thing about all of those places, there's plenty of places to review us and rate us on any of the platforms you listen on and be able to share that content and your social media, your Facebook. Let people know about the shows here on Trek FM, not just literary treks. We all love being able to share what we do with other people. One of the best ways, and you know this, Char, <laughs> of people being able to support us is through Patreon. You know it. And because we're a listener-supported network, it's you guys that help make this show possible. It's a lot like PBS in that way. We can't (laughs) do this without you. Listeners like you. (laughs) That's right. Listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm and you'll find all the goals that we have that we're trying to meet as the network and some milestone contribution levels. For this show, I've got some associate producers who get the show early. They get exclusive content from me. They get the early access to content. We've got producer credits, scenes on the content development team, and so much more. We sincerely appreciate all the help you give us because without you guys, it's not possible. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. If you'd like to leave us a contact, we'd love that. We'd love to hear more from you about what maybe you thought of Born With Teeth or any of the other books and comics we talk about here. Just go to trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail. Look on the sidebar on the show page. Go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. We're on Twitter at trekfm. Facebook at facebook.com slash trackfm. Of course, the Babel Conference, the best place anywhere to have a great discussion. And it's our listeners only group too. Only people who listen to the show know about this. Just search Babel Conference in the Facebook search field or go to the website, click discussion on the menu bar. And of course, that's trek.fm is our website, if you didn't remember. <laughs> and then, of course, we've got our Goodreads group. That's a great place to go. You can check out what we're reading next, what we're currently reading, what's coming up. We've got the bookshelves there. We've got great discussions happening as well. So if you check out the show page, we've got the Goodreads link there, and you'll find us. It's a fantastic place for even more discussion. 
like to thank our associate producers. Uh, we've got Will Wynn. He's on Twitter at Will underscore Wynn. And, of course, he's on the Babel Conference. He is the associate producer for The Orb and Earl Gray. And he's the content manager here at Trek FM. So if you have any ideas for shows, hit him up. Let him know those ideas. And, of course, Ken Tripp, thank you so much for supporting this show and being an associate producer here as well. Now, Shar. Before we let you go from Leary Checks, you've got to tell everybody where they can find you on the network and online. You bet. Well, every Thursday, a Voyager show called To the Journey comes out, and I co-host that with my lovely ISS counterpart, Tristan Riddell. Wow. (laughs) You did that, not me. (laughs) But he is the international sex symbol, so you're not in the wrong here. And we talk anything and everything Voyager. If you enjoy Kate Mulgrew's work, if you enjoy Voyager and you're not listening to us yet, well, what are you waiting for? Go over to Trek FM, find our show, subscribe, or do what I do. And I hit up the master feed and I just get all of the content straight up in one convenient place. That's that's what's easiest for me because I do listen to just about all of our shows it's actually getting to the point where i can't listen to them all anymore because i'm <laughs> ridiculously behind on all of my podcasts i've had to I cut back you. a little bit but i listen to the vast majority of them still and then of course you can find me on twitter and my handle is oh the profanity which we didn't get any profanity on the show but if you oh. follow Shar on twitter you may get some profanity i feel like i've not done my job tonight yeah Dang you, woman. Dang you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry you're going to have to censor that out, huh? Yep, I am going to have to censor that. Uh, Sorry. Well, guys, you can find me, uh, Profanity Less, on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones talking about Deep Space Nine. Um, And I'm doing The 602 Club with tons of people we got friends from around the network we've got friends from all over the web just dropping by we talk all things geeky i mean gosh whether it's star wars or talking about you know the latest movie that's out uh, like tomorrowland or we're going to be talking we've been talking about jurassic park i mean so much great stuff to talk about so join us over there it's a lot of fun and of course i got my own personal blog i do um some writing over there i do some reviews of movies or books or things that don't necessarily always have to do with star trek uh and that's at 42 lifeinbetween.wordpress.com well thank you so much for joining us and until next time live long and read on you call that light reading to each his own number one